0: Um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 18 and 19. So uh, I know that sounds like a tall order, but we're going we're to go into that, and uh, we're going to work hard to get all the way through this. I'm going to start reading right now, and, uh, and it's going to be a lot of reading. I'll just tell you right now. So, but I think they all go together. They, the, both of these stories, or seemingly at least two stories, go together. I think they need to be read as a whole and, and taught as a whole. And so, at least of this sermon anyway. It says this, <clears throat> chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him. Who is that? To, to Moses. Uh, not, oh my gosh. Not <laughs> Moses. To Abraham. All right, there we go. Uh, wrong, wrong book of the Bible. Okay, uh, to Abraham. He appeared to Abraham uh, by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf and he, uh, that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, "'Where is Sarah, your wife?' And he said, "'She is in the tent.' The Lord said, "'I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son.' And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, "'After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure?' The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. (laughs) Then... The men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abram went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation? And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, "'Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know.' So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, "'Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked?' Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, And I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He, He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again. But this once, suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly so they turned aside to him and entered his house and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they lay down the men of the city the men of Sodom both young and old all the people in uh, to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, "Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them." Lot went out to the men at the entrance shut the door behind him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow, they're talking about Lot, came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they, were, uh, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons in laws As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside of the city, Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it, not too little? is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of that city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar." Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all, and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went in the early morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Last bit here. Now, when Lot went up to Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar, so he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man on earth to come, in, uh, to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name ben- Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. That's a lot. I read all of that to you because uh, sometimes we can take Scripture in isolation we can read one little piece and just say, what's this mean for me? But really, this, the meaning is found in the, the, the broad strokes of what's happening here. And of, of course, you can look at this in detail and you can get other things out of it. But a lot of times, we don't do that as people. So what are we looking at here? Well, first of all, as you look at the passage, uh, these two passages are obviously connected. How are they connected? Well, there's uh, several things. The Lord appears to Abraham. Uh, in the presence of the, it sounds like two angels, and then like the angel of the Lord. It says three men. We don't know exactly what this, what this is, but the Lord was there, and there were at least two angels, and, and uh, that's, that's what we know. And then we have two angels that visit Sodom as well. So both men get a visit uh, from the Lord in one way or another, people or angels representing the Lord in some respect, now, uh, secondly is this, is that both bow down to the earth when they come into contact with these angels they, they and with the presence of the Lord. They both bow to the earth. Uh, they both prepare a meal. Uh, both of these passages contain a reference to uh, the word laugh in Hebrew. When it talks about his sons-in-laws as they were jesting, they think that he's, uh, they think that he's laughing. They think, are, are you joking? But in Hebrew, it's just the word laugh. So this word laugh is, is in there in both respects. With Sarah, it is Sarah just laughs to herself and, and says, you know, am I going to have a kid? This is crazy, that kind of thing. The, uh, the other thing is this, is that Abraham's prayer for the righteous. A- Abraham is praying for the righteous, and then as a result... Lot is saved by the skin of his teeth. Lot is saved by the skin of his teeth, uh, not because he's righteous, but because of God's mercy. And so what we see here is we have these two stories that go hand in hand, and you look at the outcome of Lot's life, and it is sorted. I meant to say at the beginning of the service, this is going to be PG-13. My apologies if uh, you didn't know that, but this is at least PG-13. Now, when we look at these two stories, we have to ask ourselves, what is God trying to get across? Well, two things. Again, we're comparatively looking at Abraham and Lot. We're looking at Abraham and Lot, and we're looking at how Abraham lived his life, and we're looking at how Lot lived his life and the outcome of his life. Now, obviously, in the end of all of this, we're gonna say, hey, be like Abraham because you don't wanna be like Lot, obviously. Now, that's, that's clear, but there's a twist to it. Let's look at Abraham here in the beginning of this passage. Well, well first of all, let's look at, look at Sarah. The Lord comes to Abraham. He says, where's Sarah, your wife? Uh, he, he says she's in the tent. He's making food for them. He uh, repeats this promise. I will surely return to you about this time next year. In verse 10, Sarah laughs. She says, am I worn out? My Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure and she's, she's uh, confused. The Lord repeats back to her in verse 13, uh, essentially says, this is actually what you believe. You believe that you're not going to bear a child uh, because you're old. And God, uh, the Lord, responds in verse 14 by saying, is anything too hard for the Lord? So that is the first thing that we really need to see in this passage is that what God is trying to communicate to you and I and what God is trying to communicate to them is that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is too difficult for Him. Nothing is too difficult for Him. We find out in Hebrews that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered Him faithful who had promised. So Sarah did have faith, but it was it was hard. It was difficult faith because it was such insurmountable odds that she could not imagine this taking place. So what we're up against here is that in a sense what we need to hear from this is that nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Absolutely nothing. Look at the next section here. It says in verse 16 The men set out from there and they look down towards Sodom. And Abraham goes with them to set them on their way. So he's going with these three men to set them on their way. And then the Lord has this conversation. Now it could have been like an internal conversation that the Lord is having with himself. But I think what was going on is that the Lord is having an audible conversation. A little bit like I would have with my kids. Uh, Should we go have ice cream tonight? I don't know. I mean, should we go have ice cream tonight? Now, this is not about ice cream or anything good, but, what, but in, in some respects. But it sounds like the Lord is almost treating Abraham like he is a, a little kid. Do you think we should tell him? I don't know. Should we tell him what we're going to go do this weekend? Should we go tell him what's, what's going to happen? That kind of thing. And I wonder what Abraham was doing. Ooh, ooh, tell me, tell me. I got to know. I got to know. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. That <coughs> kind of thing. Excuse me. <coughs> okay so the lord says this he repeats what he has communicated to him listen if you don't get anything out of today uh, other than me explaining this passage i think it'll be a good day please pay attention verse 18 says seeing that abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him am i gonna hide from him uh, what i'm about to do because this guy is, is surely going to fulfill my promises to him. He's surely going to walk in these ways. He's surely going to be about these things. I'm going to make, he's going to be blessed, and he's going to bless everyone else. Am I going to hide that from him? Well, it says in verse 19, For I have chosen him. And what that really means is this, is that I have known him. Derek Kidner, great commentator on this passage, says... I have made him my friend. He is my friend, and I'm going to communicate things to my friend. He says that he may command his children and his household after him. That's key. That he may command his children and his household after him. That means Abraham and his children and his children's children and the nation of Israel all the way down. That, they may, that he may command them to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. I've chosen him. I've called him to this. I have, made it, I have made it clear. I have called him to this. And so therefore, he is able to fulfill what I've asked him to do, to do righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Now, there's a spiritual level to this, which I want to get to in a minute, but there's also a very practical level to this as well. As a chosen one of God, that is someone who believes in Jesus Christ as Savior, he has chosen you, he has made you his friend, he has called you to be his friend, that you may carry out righteousness and justice, that you may carry out these things in his name, and that you would command your children and your household after you through the way that you live your life, that you would be somebody who is leading people to righteousness and justice. The fruit of your life will play out as a result of this. And as a result, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Now, there is... This initial part where God comes to Abraham and 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 he tells him this promise and then and then it says that Abraham believed God and it was countered to him as righteousness. So he believes God by faith. He trusts in the word of God. He doesn't just believe in God. He believes God. He believes what he says. His righteousness comes not from his works. His works come from his righteousness that comes by faith. And so God is calling him to further righteousness and justice in his community, in his people, in his home. This is what he's doing here. Look at verse 20. The Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. God hears the outcry of people who are abused. God hears the outcry against this city, and not just this city, but that city and Gomorrah. God hears the outcry of what's going on. Sometimes we say, uh, uh, doesn't God care about the horrific things that are going on in our world? God does care, and he hears the outcry of people who are used and abused and taken advantage of. In fact, Ezekiel uh, chapter 16, verse 49, says it goes beyond just sexual sin. Sodom is known for its sexual sin. I'll get to that in a little bit. It be- goes beyond that. It says in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Talking to Israel, saying this was the guilt of, you're basically, you're, you're with Sodom. You're acting like Sodom here. She and her daughters, uh, uh, I'm sorry, she and her daughters had pride, excess food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. Listen to that for just a second. What's up with Sodom? It's not just that there's horrible sexual sinners. That was happening. But Ezekiel points out something to Israel, the prophet Ezekiel points out something to Israel and says, you're just as bad as Sodom. You're just as bad as those sexual sinners that are blatant with their sin because they also had pride, they had excess food, and they had prosperous ease. And yet they did absolutely nothing to aid the poor and the needy. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to hear this. We need to hear this. So the three men turn, and they go towards Sodom. And Abraham stays there before the Lord. And Abraham has a conversation with the Lord, and his his conversation is what we call intercession. He's interceding for this city. And why is he interceding for them? He's interceding because he's saying... God, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now remember what it said just earlier. I've chosen him that he would would keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. God says, I'm going to go judge Sodom, and I'm going to determine whether what they've done is as evil as the outcry that has come to me. God knows all things. But this, again, is called an anthropomorphism. It is as though God needed to go down there and do that. But this is for our sake that we see that God moves. He goes down. He's connected with our state, where we are, how we live. And so Abraham is saying to God, he's saying to Yahweh, Yahweh, you should act like Yahweh. Yahweh don't be unrighteous, don't be unjust. He's coming after God and he's saying, God, wouldn't it be unjust if you destroyed the righteous with the unrighteous? God, far be it from you to do something like this. Now, Abraham is proving the point of what God has chosen him for. Abraham is proving the point and he is advocating for and he's He's almost putting his relationship, what he seems, uh, what he thinks is that he's putting his relationship at risk with the Lord. Oh, please don't be angry with me. If there's 50 there, how about if there's 45? How about if there's 40? How about if there's 30? How about if there's 20? How about if there's 10? He gets down to 10. And at, and at 10 he finally stops, and we don't know why he stops, but he stops at 10 and he says, God, will you please just preserve it because my nephew Lot is there and, and, and I want him to be okay. And he's got to be thinking to himself, there's got to be more than just Lot and his family. But Abraham is doing righteousness and justice here, and part of that righteousness and justice is coming out in the way that he intercedes for this city, that he prays for his family, that he's praying for these people and he's lifting them up and he's pleading with God and he cares about these people. And likewise, you and I have a responsibility that, that, that when we come to faith, that we are people who are responding to the grace of God by expressing grace to other people, by praying for grace in their life, That God would reveal to them the truth about this this Jesus, who is God. That we would be praying for them, that we'd be interceding for the needs of their life. That we would be seeking after them in this respect. So Abraham proves the point. God says, I will preserve this city if even there's just 10 people there. If even just ten people it says in uh, the beginning of chapter 19 it says this the two angels came to Sodom in the evening it says that Lot bows his face to the earth he's replicating what Abraham has done it is done for a comparison again I believe it is showing us these two lives It says he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. You'll notice that they say, hey, we're just going to sleep in the town square. And Lot says, no, you don't want to sleep out here. Uh, Please, he urges them, no, you should come into my house. You don't want to be on the streets of Sodom after dusk. Like, this is not a good place. They're known for their sinful behavior, it says earlier in Genesis. It says, the men of Sodom in verse four it says, But before they lay down the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house, and they called to Lot where the men who came, uh, where are the men who came to you tonight? bring them out that we may know them now, liberal uh, scholars, I also have a friend who wrote a book about this and it's complete heresy, but um, he says, the main sin of Sodom was not that they were it was not homosexual behavior He says that word. No, uh It does not mean that it means they came like hey, we want to know this guy. Can we hang out? You know that kind of thing well that that Potentially could be true if lot had not turned around and come I mean it was awful what he does as he turns around and offers his two daughters Hey here's my two daughters. They're virgins. They've never known a man. Have your way with them. That's what's going on here. It says that the men of Sodom are here, and they want to uh, have sex with these two men. Some commentators talk about how these are angels. Uh, Perhaps they look like they're in the, the prime of their life. They Um, Are beautiful creatures and so perhaps they're seen in that light. We don't know Like I said lot offers his daughters What do we see in lot here? we see this guy who is if you if you had not known the New Testament where it says that lot was a righteous man who was enduring all of this stuff You would not believe that he was righteous in any respect. And I still have difficulty believing this because of just this statement. Hey, uh, you know, hey, uh, he goes out to the entrance, shuts the door after him. I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let, Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only don't hurt these men, but you can take my kids. You can take my daughters. What are we seeing here? We're seeing the righteousness and the justice of Abraham uh, pouring out. We see Abraham as this guy who is, he's righteous, he's good, he's made some mistakes for sure. But this guy, he is resembling something. He is resembling his God whom he serves. We talked about these four L's a while ago where he's loyal to Yahweh. He lives as, as if his promises are true. He loves God and others by practicing righteousness and justice. And he looks for provision in the Messiah. This is what Abraham is doing. Abraham is is acting righteously and justly. He's living as if God's promises are true. Lot, on the other hand, he is called righteous, which is so difficult. And yet, look at his life. Look at his life. He goes from traveling from Ur... With Abraham, he is under the blessing of this guy Abraham, and yet at one point he finally says, "You know what? Uh, we should we should depart." Actually, Abraham says this: "We should depart from one another. Why should we be fighting? Because our, our herdsmen are fighting each other for for pasture land and things like that." And so he says, "Lot, why don't you look around and why don't you find a place to go, and I'll go the other direction." So Lot looks towards Sodom. He looks towards this valley and he says, yep, I want to go there. And he moves his tents as far as Sodom. So it's like he's next to Sodom. And then later, Lot gets taken captive when Sodom comes under attack. And we find out that Lot was living in Sodom. And then now, the two angels show up to the city and Lot is not just in the town, but he's sitting at the city gate, which means it's a position of power. He's sitting in a position of power. Look at the way that his life has gone. It has slipped, it has slipped, it has slipped, and now he's enmeshed in it. And even though he's a righteous man, he is very much influenced by this society. Look at his weak faith. Look at how he has, uh, all, all of the things that he has done. Look at verse 12 of chapter 19. Then the men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place. For we're about to destroy this place. The destruction of God is coming. You must get out of here. Get everyone out of here. And so Lot goes out, in verse 14, and said to his sons-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he is not taken seriously by his sons-in-laws. Here's Lot. He's slipping, he's slipping, he's slipping. Perhaps his faith is waning. You see this despicable act of offering his daughters to be raped? And then he goes to his sons-in-laws who are clearly not followers of Yahweh, which I implore you that you would ensure that you marry someone who is a follower of Yahweh. I implore you, fathers, to ensure that your daughters and that your sons marry a follower of Yahweh. These two men are clearly not that. They do not take seriously the word of the Lord. They do not respect their father-in-law. They think he's joking. Oh, this guy's joking. (laughs) Sweet lot. Yeah, like God's going to rain down fire. Think about this in our culture today. People who do not take seriously the judgment of the Lord. I was thinking recently, I don't know that we have talked about the judgment of God. The seriousness of, of God raining down fire in some respect. And not that we should walk around fearful every day of like, he's going to strike me dead. But there is a sense in which we should be fearful of God's judgment. In fact, our shame, <coughs> our, our, our shame, our, our pain, the, 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 our conscience bothers us. And that conscience is motivated by a fear of judgment. Our society is directly opposed to us feeling that Judgment. Our society tells us, don't worry about that judgment. Look past it. Get over it. Take pride in your lifestyle. Take pride in what you do. Don't let anybody tell you to to be different. And here is Lot, and he's enmeshed in the midst of this culture. And then it says this. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters, who are here lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city verse 16 says but he lingered but he lingered here's what happens God comes to us he communicates his judgment to us and we say yeah I don't want that we hear the bad news of the gospel first then comes the good news of the gospel but the bad news of the gospel begins with this there is no one righteous there's not even one We've together become like one who is unclean. It says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and following. It talks about the fact that we deserve this punishment. We deserve the judgment of God. And then what happens after that? Oftentimes, what do we do? We linger. We linger. Even Lot himself is not taking seriously the judgment of God. He has not looked around and said, "Eh, you know, this is not a good place for me to be. He's lingering. And here's what's happening. It's not so much that Lot is in Sodom as much as Sodom is in Lot. It's not so much that Lot is in the midst of of this, gen- this crooked and perverse generation. It's that this crooked and perverse generation is inside of Lot. He is reflecting his culture more than reflecting, G- reflecting Yahweh to his culture. He's reflecting what the culture is doing instead of reflecting Yahweh to his culture. He's become a victim of everything that's around him. And it says this, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And here's what God does for us. God grabs us by the hand if we are truly his. And there are times when he will yank us out of our sin. When you are lingering in your sin, in your culture, you're languishing The only thing that makes you Christian is you go to church on Sunday, and occasionally you listen to Christian radio or something like that. You give lip service to the idea of following God, that kind of a thing, and it's really not embedded into your life. God sometimes grabs us by the arm, and he yanks us out of this culture, and he awakens us, and he does it through the loss of a marriage. He does it through being found out. He does it through the loss of a job. He does it through sickness and death and all kinds of things, destruction. And God awakens us, and he yanks us out of the city because we are lingering. We are languishing in the midst of that, the Lord being merciful to him. And they bring him out, and they set him outside of the city. And then you see more of this. Lot presses his luck as they brought him out one said escape for your life don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley escape to the hills lest you be swept away again Abraham had prayed Lord will you sweep away the righteous with the unrighteous these passages are connected lest you be swept away and lot says to them "Oh no you know my lords instead of giving full obedience realizing the the grace and the mercy that he's received to get out of this place, he presses his luck, and he says, you know what? I don't want to go all the way. I only want to go part of the way. I only want to go part of the way. I only want a, a little bit of distance between me and Sodom. I only want a little bit of distance between me and my culture. And we do the same thing, and sometimes horrific things happen in our life, God yanks us by the arm through that and instead of going with full obedience we do partial obedience which is always full disobedience. However, God allows it. God allows it. And so they say, okay, we're going to preserve this city and I don't know if Zawar was going to be destroyed as well but they did say we're going to preserve this city. We won't overthrow this city because of because of this. God destroys Sodom. Lot's wife looks back. Verse 26, she becomes a pillar of salt. We don't know what happened there. Was she coated in salt because of the the sulfur and the fire and everything? We don't know exactly. But what's clear is this, is that what Lot's wife was doing was she was looking back. And it wasn't just that she looked back. It was that she looked back longingly. Jesus kind of infers later on in one of the Gospels that that it was more like she was looking back and she was thinking about her stuff. She was thinking about her stuff and she was thinking about all all the stuff that she's going to be missing. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verse 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. Likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. God is saying, remember Lot's wife at the judgment. But remember Lot's wife today that Jesus says and seems to infer, if you're on the housetop and your goods are in the house, your stuff, your things, materialism, don't go back Just get out of there. Lot's wife turned around and looked longingly at the materialism that she had. She wanted the materialism that she had in Sodom more than she wanted relationship with God. More than she wanted salvation. She wanted her stuff more than her God. There's not a person in this room that does not suffer from this. I do not believe. I don't know how you could be an an, an American and not suffer from this. The materialism that we have. What would we do if we lost our cell phones? What would we do if we lost the comforts of life? It is a materialism that we are steeped in. And then lastly is this. Lot and his daughters. The very thing that Lot told the men of Sodom, hey, take my daughters and do this to them. Lot in his drunkenness ends up doing to his daughters. This is a horrible, horrible story. It is horrific. And if I did not know better from 2 Peter, that the New Testament looks at him as righteous, that he he was putting up with all of this unrighteousness around him, yet he was so affected by it. He was so affected by it. It's not that so much that Lot was in Sodom, it's that Sodom was in Lot. It's not so much that Lot was in the midst of this culture that was completely depraved. It's that that culture, that completely depraved culture, was in Lot. And he lingers and he presses his luck with God, and you see the guys that his daughters have been planning to marry, you see how he is not doing what Abraham has done. He is not somebody who is teaching his children that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. doing righteousness and justice. You see the outcome of Lot's life. You see what happened. Now, here's the thing. Abraham had a conversation with God and he was interceding and he was interceding and God heard his prayer And even though he didn't save Sodom, he saved one man, one man. And in this story, it doesn't seem like God would save the city of Sodom for the righteousness of one man. But what we find out is this, is that Abraham and the promises that God had given him and Sarah, the promise of a son, was looking forward to the one man that, the, that will be unjustly put to death for the unrighteousness of, of all of us. One man that would be put to death. See, Abraham doesn't really fully know God yet because he says, God, far be it from you to put to death the unrighteous uh, with the righteous, to put to death the righteous with the unrighteous. I should say. Abraham doesn't really even understand fully what's going on yet. He doesn't understand that ultimately what is going to happen is something else completely impossible is going to take place. Something completely impossible is going to take place. When you look at the story of not somebody who is old, but somebody who is young, It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, who is an heir of Abraham. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, who is an heir of Abraham. Forever in his kingdom there will will be, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Mary says, how will this be because I'm a virgin? Sarah says, how's this gonna be because I'm old? I'm stinking old. I cannot physically have kids. And Mary says, I cannot physically have kids because I've never been with a man. Like, how is this gonna happen? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for him? He says, and the, angel, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. See, here's the thing. The promise of Isaac, who's the son, whose name means laughter, by the way. The son, whose name is Isaac, is the first born son of this family that is going to go on and conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself. See, what we see in and through this is that Abraham acting righteously and justly is not really us. We can think to ourselves, I want to be like Abraham. I want to do righteousness and justice. But the truth is is that you and I are a lot like Lot. We're a lot like Lot, get it? We are so much like Lot. We're lingering. We're, we're, we're languishing in this culture. And my concern is, my concern is for our church, for our people, that we would be people that are languishing here, that we're lingering here, that we do not protect our children. That our lives don't look any different than those of Sodom. And it may be that, that your sexuality is secure. But I'll bet you what's true is this, is that we have more than enough to eat. We do not care for the poor and the needy. See, all of us are much more like Lot than we are like Abraham. Abraham. And we're not taking seriously the judgment of God that has been lifted from us through Jesus Christ, through the promised Son who brings to us the ability to carry out, to do the way of the Lord, which is by carrying out righteousness and justice and to command our children and our household after that. In regards to the way of the Lord, it is only in and through Jesus Christ that we have that ability. Now, what you and I need to come to terms with is this. I'm no different than a lot. May be, and maybe you, you would go further and you would say, I'm just as messed up, not as a lot, but more. And here I am, I'm in Sodom. And I, I've, I haven't even gone as far as Lot to, to somehow follow Yahweh, even in small ways. Jesus was born so that you could do righteousness and justice by placing your faith in Him. And Jesus gives you a righteousness that does not belong to you. And it is in and through that that you begin to live a righteous and a just life. Have we considered, church, have we considered what God has for us? Have we considered that we are in the midst of Sodom and yet we act just like Sodom? We haven't been leading our kids. We haven't been leading our wives. We haven't been leading our families. We've been just like that. Jesus came to save us from that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we come to you this morning and we ask for just a realization of where we are in life. Lord, there's many of us here that that have not considered that we may be in the same place as Lot. Maybe we haven't been as outright, uh, outrightly despicable toward our children. But Lord, in our heart of hearts, we know that there are aspects of our character that need your light, that need your judgment so that we can apply your gospel, your righteousness to those areas and Lord, that we'd live in freedom as a result. Lord, I'm praying that you would create a free church here. Lord, we know that if anyone is in, in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, behold, the new has come. And Lord, so we're, we're praying that you would create this new life. We know that you've made us new, but Lord, would you make us new outwardly? Lord, may, may the way that we treat other people and the way that we lead our families change. Lord, I'm praying for the man right now that refuses to believe that he has not led his family well. I'm praying for that man this morning. Lord, I'm praying for those that are steeped and in, uh, in sexual sin. That, Lord, need release uh, from this. Lord, that, this, that they are taking their kids down with them, even though their kids may not know. Lord, I'm praying that you would bring the light of your gospel to that. Lord, that we would not linger in this sin. Lord, I'm asking this in your name we pray. Amen.